Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael McNutt with Weedy, and welcome to a special best of edition of the Collective Voice of Health IT. Last month, Weedy held its annual spring conference, Weedy 2021. The five-day virtual event showcased best practices and emerging trends in health IT and focused on several topics that are paramount in the industry, including prior authorization, the healthcare app economy, burden reduction, and health equity. We were honored to host a great conversation with two chief health equity officers, Dr. Aletha Maybank of the American Medical Association and Michael Curry of United Health Group. This week, we'd like to present that session, recorded at the conference and hosted by Nancy Spector, Weedy Chair, and Coding and HIT Advocacy Director with the American Medical Association. I'm Nancy Spector with um, the American Medical Association, and I am Chair of the Weedy Board, and um, happy to be moderating this session talking about um, health equity. And I just want to give uh, the audience a little background. Um, we did do a uh, one-day event earlier this year, the Quest for Health Equity, and we had an epilogue series of webinars that came after that. And if you go out to the uh, Weedy website, you can find those recordings if you would like to go back and listen to that. And um, if you have any problems finding that, I think we've said quite a number of times here, reach out to um, Sam Holvey or Michael McNutt, or just email the Weedy um, at weedy.org and, and we'll be happy to help point you in that right direction. So um, I would like to start out by just doing a really quick introduction of um, our next speakers, Mike Curry and uh, Dr. Aletha Maybank. Um, but I'm going to leave them to really dig into talking about a lot of their background and how they've gotten involved in health equity. So I'll start first with um, Dr. Maybank, and she is um, the American Medical Association's inaugural Chief Health Equity Officer as of April 2019 um, and Senior Vice President. Her role there is to lead the AMA's Health Equity Center and embed health equity in all of the work of the AMA. And we have um, Mike Curry, who has led the United Health Group Health Equity Services Program since its establishment in June of 2010. And he is responsible for the development and coordination of the enterprise's efforts, initiatives, and interventions to identify health disparities. So, um, uh, both um, speakers obviously have big jobs and um, are, um, um, I'm sure, um, going to have a lot of really interesting things to talk to us about today. So let me jump in and um, start with you, Dr. Maybank. If you could um, just start out and give us some of the background of what got you to um, you know, your interest in health equity and, and where you are today. Thanks, uh, thanks, Nancy, and thanks to Weedy for having uh, me on the panel. And on behalf of uh, the American Medical Association and the Center for Health Equity, it's a it's a pleasure to be here. So um, uh, journeys are long, <laughs> so I don't want to give you my whole autobiography. But um, you know, I was I am a pediatrician trained as a pediatrician. Um, and uh, completed my peds residency and, and worked for two years as a hospitalist. But always it was very clear that um, 
I, I wasn't a fan of kind of medical culture um, and in the environment, um, very ethnocentric, and, and it is still to this to, to a large level to this day. And also, what really bothered me, I think, the most was that you know I'd be in environments and where I'm trying to take care of patients that are coming from communities and neighborhoods that have have been disinvested for years that lacked the resources in order to take care of health in the way that they wanted to. But we in the medical profession like had this expectation that they should be able to do these, um, change their lifestyles, we'll use that language, based on our recommendations just because we say it. And it, it just didn't feel right. And I didn't appreciate being told that, well, that's the social worker's role to pay attention to, you know, if they don't have access to, to food or, or um, enough money in order to afford traveling different places. Um, and so I ended up getting exposed to a preventive medicine residency. Um, and then while I was doing that, had this tremendous opportunity to start an office of minority health while I was there and also be able to get a, a MPH at Columbia all at the same time. Um, and it's really that entry into governmental public health um, and, and health disparities as we called it at that time, um, the, the preferred language is health equities now. But you know, it was that entree into uh, governmental public health and doing equity work that has kind of propelled my career forward. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go to the New York City Department of Health um, as an assistant commissioner over Brooklyn. And then Dr. Mary Bassett um, came to the health department, back to the health department to be commissioner. And it really was under her that I think I was really able to spread my wings as it relates to doing equity work and justice work. And what does that mean um, at an institutional level to really operationalize um, equity work? And then um, two years ago, um, had the opportunity and privilege to come here to the American Medical Association to also start a center for health equity. Great. Oh, sounds, yeah, like a really interesting um, career path. And, um, uh, but let me switch over and um, introduce Mike and bring you on and, um, and then um, ask if you could give your, um, you know, some background on how you got to where you are today. That's good, good morning. Um, um, th thanks for having me, Nancy. Hi. By the way, it's okay. a um, uh, it's, it's good to be talking with the group, um, with my friend Alita, um, unknowing and having a real appreciation for her passion for health equity. For me, Nancy, uh, this has been close to a 30-year journey. And I started out in local health in a local health department and got a chance to see what the, it was a school-based health center. So got a chance to see health disparities up close and personal, really getting started in this area. There was no word about health equity or health disparities back then. It was just what you saw. Um, and the social factors will commonly referred to as social determinants of health and how they impacted people's ability to access and utilize healthcare so that they could have the greatest opportunity to have the best health, health outcomes possible. So I got a chance to see that in a local health department. I was then able to parlay that local health department experience up to a state health department all while I was completing a MPH degree so educationally, I was getting um, sort of refined in my understanding about this. While both at a local health department and a state health department, 
I was getting a chance to see it up close and personal and apply education into real life. But then um, I got curious and that curiosity was associated with, so I, I, I get the public health principles and public health aspects of what this looks like, but what does this look like um, from a commercial perspective, from an employer perspective, those who have health insurance? Does it look the same? Are there differences? And then I was able to take that curiosity and essentially um, secure a position as the wellness person, which you, at an organization that used to be a Fortune 500 company back then. So working in benefits and in wellness see how all that public health stuff that I had learned and saw applied in an employer-based model. And one of the things that I learned was that a lot of employer groups pay a lot of significant attention. There's a lot of influence in what employers do based on what the health insurer and or consultant is telling them. So that piqued my curiosity again in two ways. One, I want to go see what this walks like, talks like, looks like, smells like on the health insurance side of things. So I secured a position um, at Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield back then. And I wanted to add some business acumen to what I was thinking, what I was saying, what I was doing. So I got an MBA to go along um, with the other education that I had received. And it was the culmination and combination of public health experience and education, employer-based experience with benefit design and benefits rollout and implementation, and then health insurance partnership in this now health equity space that has created some um, interesting inner thoughts and ideas and innovations in how I approach my job today. Again, um, you know, fascinating um, um, to hear everything you've uh, experienced over the years. Um, so I'm a little curious, and maybe we can do a little bit of level setting, and I'll ask bo both of you to um, chime in on this. I've been hearing you say health equity, health equality, health disparities, um, even the social determinants of health. And and it seems as though these um, terms do get used sometimes synonymously or sometimes um, as a distinction. Could both of you provide a little bit of your thought on the actual language that we're using and, and maybe even a little bit about why language matters in this area? Yeah, so, I mean, I can start and then Mike, um, Mike can chime in. Um, language, well, first let me just also share we just released our AMA strategic plan these week. I think it was last week. We did so much within the week, so I don't even, don't even quite remember, but we released our strategic plan um, for um, embedding racial justice and advancing health equity last week. And for that, the reasons why you're actually asking the question, um, Nancy, we, the, the document is 80 pages long, which is long for a strategic plan. Um, but we were very intentional and thought it was absolutely critical that we help support um, in terms of the education and educating piece, because people are using terms in different ways. They are using language in different ways and that impacts the actions, it impacts the language impacts like the stories and the narratives um, 
And, and there are so many dominant narratives and sometimes malignant narratives about people and, and how situations are set up that they um, totally obscure who's responsible um, for leading the work forward. And they also determine what the actions will be potentially. And so it's really important that we're using words um, in a way that helps us really see the root of the problem so that we identify solutions, innovations that are really meeting the problem where it's at, at its root cause. And so in this document of our strategic plan, you know, we have an equity primer that's included. And it's kind of, you know, you kind of have to walk through and kind of read through their document. We try to do it in good progression, but giving terms like such as the distinctions between equity and equality, but just even just racism and words like structural violence that folks aren't really as familiar with, but how they're root causes of inequities that exist. Um, social determinants of health or structural drivers or social drivers of health, uh, of health determinants and, and health inequities. All those terms are really important to make sure that we have the language down optimally. And so we don't have the time in this conversation to give a full primer on that, but I do highly recommend folks go to um, our strategic plan because there is a, a good body um, within in that document talking about that. Specifically talking about distinctions between equality and equity. Um, equality is you know, really a, a process which means about providing the same amounts and same types of resources across all populations and really seeking to treat people or it ignores the fact that people really aren't treated the same um, and have been given conditions and forced in conditions because of our historical legacy of disinvestment and deprivation within the context of neighborhoods, whether it's in education or, or income or the ability to accrue wealth, um, especially for communities that have been historically marginalized. So they're not starting at the same point of power and opportunity um, and wealth. Um, so it can't just be about providing the same. It has to be about providing based on what are the strengths of people and communities, but also what are the needs um, within communities and spaces as well. And that, that doesn't just translate to communities in terms of where people live and neighborhoods. It translates to you know what, what Mike was saying in terms of the employer, who are your employees? You know, There's differences amongst employees and that's why internal equity work is really important you know, at the institutional level because every employee does not have the same experience, does not really have the same opportunity oftentimes within our institutions. And, you know, Nancy, if I may, I'll add to that. Alita just did a great summary um, with some breadth and depth. What I'll do is, is offer um, sort of a takeaway summary for individuals. And the takeaway summary is this, yeah, health uh, or equality is focused on giving everyone the same thing, making sure that people get whatever the equal thing is. And equity is about providing individuals what they need based on all those things Aletha just mentioned. The other piece that I would mention just in framing and context, because you're absolutely correct, Nancy, and I'm sure Aletha hears this as well. People will use terms like health equity, health disparities, social determinants of health. They'll use them interchangeably and they're not interchangeable. Uh, what I want folks to think about is health equity is the overall state or goal that you ultimately want to achieve. Think of it as the top of the mountain. In order to get there, there are a whole host of efforts, activities, initiatives, whatever it is we're going to call them, that happen in order to advance 
health equity and allow you to achieve health equity. All those things, those bullet points that advance health equity, they include, obviously the biggest one is health disparities work because you can't manage what you don't measure. You have to understand where the disparities are, what population is in, uh, impacted, most impacted, has the greatest opportunity for improvement, and what the order of magnitude is. So health disparities work is critical to advancing health equity, but included as other bullets is SDOH work, health literacy work, workforce diversity work, supplier diversity work, research and development, social responsibility. There are a whole host of bullets when you put that, think of it as a puzzle, when you put that puzzle together, that all of those pieces together help advance your work effort, your collective work effort to achieve health equity. That's that's really great. That and that um, uh, yeah, it's really interesting to hear um, just the 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 background and uh, getting to understand at that deeper level, the meaning of um, the different words. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit more. Um, so Dr. Maybank, you are working within you know, the AMA and, and sort of the provider side. And Mike, you're working within the health plan payer side. Is there, and, and I'm sure there's other, you know, sort of these, you know, stakeholder specific approaches. Are you seeing activities that are cross stakeholders and, um, you know, the collaboration efforts that are underway in that area? This could, um, Mike, go ahead, Mike. You go sure, ahead. sure. That, I went I'll first last time, mine. you go first this time. So go all ahead. right, all right, go tag team. Um, so the, absolutely, Nancy, there are areas where there is really no competitive advantage to any of the health insurers being first up or first to achieve something. Uh, now, there are some areas where it is important. Um, each of us, each of the health insurers will feel it's important for us to be recognized as thought leaders and first, but there are other areas where it's not. So when we're talking about health disparities, part of health disparities or some of those variables that allow you to identify health disparities. One of them is self-reported good race ethnicity information on the population you serve. There's really no competitive advantage for United Healthcare or Aetna or Cigna or somebody else to have more self-reported race and ethnicity information than another carrier because we're all working together in our various ways to address health disparities and advance health equity. So just the collection of self-reported race ethnicity data is an area where there is alignment, where there is collaboration, there's current collaboration, and there's an opportunity for more. A second example, understanding the diversity of uh, our provider networks. The overwhelming majority of providers that are in our networks, they're in all of our networks. They accept United Healthcare Insurance and Aetna Insurance. So there's no competitive advantage for me to understand race or ethnicity of a provider and the other carriers not, um, considering that the providers are in several. So there's another area where there is collaboration. And the last one I would mention is uh, an area like maternal health and maternal health outcomes. We all want to improve maternal health outcomes. So 
being able to identify those areas and opportunities for us to advocate together, partner in community-based work together, um, have policies and programs associated with evidence-based care that are aligned across carriers. There's no competitive advantage there. That's what we should be doing. And I, so, and I'm in um, agreement with that. I guess, <laughs> sorry, what I'll add additionally, um, so data, you know, absolutely is a strong point and Mike and I are actually kind of collaborating on an opportunity right now, but it also ties into some of the work that we're doing um, at the AMA along with other partners um, as such as AAMC and um, ACGME. And I know Lori McGraw uh, may be listening in, so shout out to Lori McGraw, who's our Senior Vice President over Health Solutions. But um, her team um, is leading and, and we're helping support as the Center for Health Equity efforts to strengthen our race and ethnicity data collection, as well as sexual orientation and gender identity collection, um, and doing this collaboratively with the organizations that I just mentioned to strengthen that data and how we collect it, what we know, how we stratify it, and then what we do with it, um, and, and how do we analyze it, and how does it help, help impact the decisions and solutions that we put forward as um, pretty large and powerful uh, organizations across the country. Uh, so that's, you know, a big body of work we're doing. And I would say data is, is, is definitely one area of collaboration. But I would all, I, just to push this a little bit more in terms of where I think we have opportunities to go, um, one is definitely around the space of innovation itself. Um, and, you know, we as AMA definitely, and I'm sure most people in healthcare have some innovation arm because it's used very freely kind of in one sense in innovation in uh, healthcare. Um, and... You know, I think that innovation has um, its way that it's been structured um, from my equity lens. You know, it's in space that's been pretty um, exclusive, um, very meaningful, impactful, clearly for us in the healthcare space and health overall in this country. But there's a lot of work that we can do in order to better advance equity um, within the space, but also for the sake of health. And so we've been working with um, external stakeholders and partners to help influence kind of how we're doing our work as AMA, um, to strengthen our, our lens around equity, but also to find collaborative opportunities in terms of creating, again, foundational kind of narrative documents or principles or understandings and values of what it means to advance equity. So I see a lot of collaboration in, the, in that area just overall um, amongst groups to come together to identify these principles and strategies that identify equity. We're working on it specifically also in the healthcare space as it relates to quality and safety and working with other folks who have kind of have their, their, their toe in those pieces um, and in different ways. Also to think about what are the kind of the guiding principles that we need to make sure we're all doing before we actually create actions and solutions so that we have some common ground um, that we're working on. I really believe in more, you know, and we can do the downstream opportunities again, but we need to move upstream in order to make sure we're just starting from the same understanding values. Um, we have the same assumptions, you know, that we're, we're, we're moving forward with or, or decreasing the assumptions that we're moving forward with, I think also is really important as we think about innovation and solutions um, uh, that we're developing. Right. Great. So you've been um, talking a little bit about, you know, data collection, and I wanted to take us into the technology side of things and how technology can help with equity issues. And is this an example as we get into 
the ideas of, for example, telemedicine or home-based devices. Is this an area where we're seeing a digital divide or is this an area where we're actually able to um, gain more ground with, in terms of access to care? Well, I'll start and then, and Mike, I, you know, I think, so yes to have we gained more ground as it relates to access to care. I think COVID, you know, exposed the opportunity and pro propelled the opportunity for um, more virtual types of medicine, telemedicine, telehealth, um, and to, to help us see that it's possible and that systems all across, whether it's, it's from the, the policy perspective, the healthcare system, the payer perspective, can all organize really quickly in times of emergency to make it happen. Um, the challenge though, as with, with a lot of opportunities is that when we do things quickly um, and not intentionally with an equity lens, we potentially you know, exclude. Um, and so while we have created greater access, we still have to focus on asking those questions, those basic questions of who are we potentially excluding and denying care you know, within the context of our innovation. How do we mitigate unintended consequences? Um, and, and how do we identify who's being most burdened in a, in a harmful way, potentially, by the solutions that we're putting forward? I think we don't do that enough in kind of the solution um, development or this innovation space around technology. Um, and we need to get more intentional in it. So is there a digital divide and, and do disparities and inequities exist within the digital climate um, and the technology climate, absolutely. Our data shows it. Um, people's stories tell it, you know, in terms of, you know, access to broadband at, at, at the neighborhood and community level. Um, but I think also the other part that we need to focus on, and that again, that's even, because that's a little bit downstream, is just the design of our solutions. Um, and oftentimes in the designing process, we don't have community voices. We don't have the people who are, most historically marginalized because they are excluded from these places. It's predominantly white men of technology development slash innovation. Um, and how do we better center the ideas and voices of those who are experiencing the greatest burden of disease? That's not just race and ethnicity, that's women, that's people who identify as being disabled, that those, those are, who are LGBTQ. How do we support um, not only the people who are most burdened, but also those people and entrepreneurs to identify as you know, being historically marginalized and making sure that they have access to capital and spaces in order to develop and, and um, amplify the ideas that they have as well, um, I think is really an important aspect of the work that, we, that we're working to focus on at the Center for Health Equity that often does not get talked about. Uh, uh, Alita brought home a number of points in there, so that was very, that was appropriately broad and had good depth in it. The, the only couple of pieces I would add is, is there, and Alita touched on this, is there opportunity or is there reality associated with the digital divide? Absolutely. Um, but are we able to leverage telehealth and remote patient monitoring as a tool and a resource to try to improve outreach and engagement um, and care support to individuals, absolutely, if applied in the right way with the right resources. Um, technology and analytics can be very useful and impactful 
in helping us predict where there are social factors that may be serving as barriers to appropriate care or where there are disparities. I talked about the data a little while ago, where the disparities exist, how we leverage analytics to get very specific in understanding populations, locations, and order of magnitude of disparities to develop solutions and interventions and initiatives that are specific to the needs of what we find. So analytics um, and technology become an important tool and resource to us being able to address disparities when, to Aletha's point, when applied with a lens of health equity. Great, great. So um, I'd like to um, talk a little bit more on the data collection side of things. And um, you've mentioned, you know, if you can't measure it if you can't count it. And, um, and our audience tends to lean towards the side of, um, you know, the, the technology around the exchange of data. So um, can you talk a little bit about sort of what the challenges are right now or the barriers with the data collection? Is it uh, not having the right tools? Is it not being able to share the data? Is it um, something else? Is it all of the above? And, and what are, are you seeing any efforts to really tackle that? Yeah, then I'll start this one off, Alita. And that, there's one of those areas of non-competitive advantage where we can be better and do better at partnering to address this. So one is really the standardization of not just data collection, because data collection is data collection, it's the analysis associated with that collection that becomes meaningful in doing something about what you see. And right now, uh, there really is no standardization of the analysis we all analyze in the ways that we're built to analyze based on how our systems and IT systems and infrastructures are built that allow us to do and when I say us, I'm talking about the payers that allow us to do health equity and health disparities work, but there really is no standardization in data format, data structure, uh, inputs in, and that type of thing. So when you look at uh, results from each of us, those results are going to be specific to how we report on the information and how we are organized to do whatever it is we're doing. So there's an opportunity uh, to be standardized as it relates to that one. And then that other one has to do, frankly, with the standardization around the outcome itself. And when I'm talking about the outcome, I'm talking about the clinical and health outcomes. Are there opportunities or is there an opportunity to set goals and standards based on the health outcomes we want to improve collectively, rather than just the members that United serves and the members that Aetna serves. Is there an opportunity uh, for, the, uh, at, probably at a government level, level, for that information to be collated so that we look at it more collectively and see what the greater societal good is for it and not just payer by payer? That's an opportunity as well. And Nancy, as I close this, um, my answer to this question out, hey, look, if this was easy, this would have been solved a long time ago and we would have already built systems to do this. This is, this is hard and difficult work for a whole 
host of reasons. So even though I give those answers, I absolutely haven't been in this work for almost 30 years. I appreciate the difficulty associated with it as well, but that doesn't mean we can't get after it and try to do something about it and move the needle. Yes, and you know, my answers are very much aligned with what Mike just provided. I think he did a great job. Um, standardization, which we already talked about as it relates to this, the ability to, for the infrastructure, the will, um, uh, to me, often doesn't, doesn't get talked about. A lot of times people could do it if they really wanted to do it, because we figure out how to do a lot of other things. Um, to collect data and to standardize it, the guidance to know to do it in case you don't know how to do it, and being able to, to um, provide that for folks, I think is, is an important part in terms of just the standardization of collecting data. Um, there are a whole slew of policies, I'm sure, and advocacy that needs to happen as well um, so that that can help happen smoothly. The other part, I think, to what Mike's bringing up is, is methodology around you know, the analysis that, that, are, that are being done. And not only is there not, um, I don't know if it's a standardization, but there's not a, a depth and a breadth of how we look at data so that it better um, speaks to equity implications or inequity implications. I think there's just um, also not enough, or let me phrase it a different way. I think there's more opportunity to learn actually from other disciplines who have been doing some of this work in terms of understanding inequities that we haven't done in the healthcare service space. I think public health has done it a little bit more. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to start um, learning from, um, and as, as Mike said, kind of working collaboratively to figure out other ways and other methodologies that are meaningful to better understand how, you know, the isms are, you know, racism and, and sexism and all of these other things are impacting our providers and the patients that we're serving within the context of the data that we can collect um, as institutions. And then um, I had a third point that just went from my brain. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll stop there, but I did have a third point. Sorry, but I'm not we'll really circle sure. back when it okay. when it comes back yeah. to you. Um, so we're I, and we're this has been such a great conversation, and I can't believe um, you know we're coming up towards the end of our time. So I, I wanted to jump ahead and do the whole um, you know get out your crystal ball, and you know in five years or ten years, what do you what do you think you'll be seeing? What are you hoping you'll be seeing in terms of progress around health equity? Yeah, so I, I just remembered it, the third thing and then I'll, I'll go into that. And so it has somebody put in the, the chat about national quality measures and metrics. I, I do think that that is, that is absolutely needed. Um, and I think that is an important part of driving us to a point where we are starting to look at things more similarly um, across institutions. So we are working on some of that um, with some of our um, work uh, around quality and safety um, and embedding, embedding racial equity um, into quality and safety systems of healthcare institutions, but providing and working with some of the large um, kind of uh, stakeholders in that space across the country um, to help think of and help drive and help hopefully advocate um, for policies that actually require, require national equity uh, metrics um, in, in many different spaces. So yes, that is something that we would like to see and that we're gonna be driving towards. For me, you know, and I'm again a root cause um, person um, and a structural kind of, you know, health equity person. 
Um, and I think we're all kind of have our, our lanes of, of where we are in, our, in the spectrum of equity. And for me, I just, I want to see, and, and what I hope and what we've seen over the last year, clearly more people are naming racism as a fundamental cause of why these health inequities exist. They're naming it, um, I, you know, and hopefully it doesn't become jargon um, in the way in the way that kind of social determinants of health language has become. But that folks actually, and we have a society and country um, and, and a medical community, an ecosystem that is more willing to un want to understand um, and have the curiosity to understand uh, what it means when we say racism is a public health threat and how does that really show up in the work that we're doing? And then what is it that we can do to actually mitigate it? Uh, but to have that curiosity, uh, I think is really um, important and has to be explicitly said, not for it to be done as a checkbox exercise, um, not to be for it to be done because it's a trend, but to understand that our systems really harm people at the end of the day and the system of oppression such as racism and classism and sexism actually prevent people from having joy and being free, having free and liberated lives, bottom line. And so I feel we need to, I would like to see in five years, just better um, appreciation and acceptance that this isn't, you know, we're not complaining. We're not here trying to complain. This isn't just passion work. You know, this is about stopping harm and allowing people to live and thrive. You know, here at United Health Group, we've been after this, or I've been involved directly with our health equity work for over a decade. And the reality, so that let me focus on not the reality, let me focus on my hope and my wish, Nancy. My hope and my wish is, you know, again, we've been after this for over a decade. A lot of the work that we were doing in the earlier years, you know, the first five or six years, uh, it was to the outside world going under the radar. Uh, it can obviously be not the uh, um, sexiest work. There's some, some hard, muddy, um, difficult work associated with this work that you just roll your sleeves up and get done. And one of my hopes is that now associated with the pandemic and all of the realities of 2020 with uh, social and civil unrest, election unrest, um, the pandemic and awareness at a completely different level about disparities and the need for health equity that are associated with the pandemic. It's an unfortunate reality and learning associated with the pandemic um, that this health equity work, I'll call it broadly health equity work, is just not the new shiny object in the store. That when Aletha and I are talking six months from now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, 36 months from now, that the line of sight and importance and priority of this work is just as ingrained in what we're talking about then as it is now. That's one hope, that's one hope. And then when I look at the next five, seven, eight years, what I really hope, Nancy, is that Aletha, me, and all of the other health equity champions that are involved in this work, we've been able to do our jobs in a way that health equity 
just becomes how the health care system does what it does. And you don't need a chief health equity officer anymore because the system, there you go, (laughs) because the system is now operating with a lens of equity included in it that just is going to be how the new system does what it does. I don't know if we're going to get there in five, six, seven, eight years. Boy, I sure would like that. And you want to put yourself out of work is what you're saying. No, I don't know, but we want to do that totally. I want to be able to work and make an issue. We'll shift it. We'll pivot pivot to something else. Let's pivot to something else. But just to to add on what Mike's saying that I think is important, and really what we're saying is that all, and this is going to, it's really that we value every single person's lives, you know, and we don't structure opportunity and assign value based on one's sexual orientation, one's race, one's gender identity, um, one's immigration status, all of that. That's the root cause of why these inequities exist because we don't value all people equally. And if we did, as people, as societies, as the systems that we create and the structures that we create, then we would get to that outcome. But we have to to recognize um, that we don't value all people equally. And because we don't, we don't treat all people equally. And, and if we don't do that through, again, our individual kind of ideas and actions and assumptions and the structures and systems we create, we will not get to the point of health equity. Wow, this has been really thought-provoking um, discussion uh, and um, definitely leaves me wanting more uh, to be able to talk more. And so um, with that, I'm gonna put in a little plug if either of you would um, like to um, do a weedy podcast for us. We would love to be able to, you know, continue this conversation and maybe dig deeper into some of these topics. So, um, happy, hey, Nancy, I'd be happy to do that with one caveat: it only works well if Aletha and I do it together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll have Michael McNutt, you know, uh, emailing you after this to uh, try and uh, schedule that. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.